Migration has been one of the most important issues on the EU's agenda in the recent years. We at ICMPD have been providing expertise on migration since 1993. But it is just now that for the first time we are witnessing an inflow of more than one million people per week crossing the borders to the EU. My name is Elizabeth Minkoff, ICMPD Communications Officer, and today we will be talking about Ukraine and the so-called Temporary Protection Directive. In today's episode, we will discuss what the Temporary Protection Directive means for Ukrainian refugees, why it was introduced in the first place for the first time now, and what its advantages and disadvantages are. In the studio here with me is an absolute top expert in the field of migration, asylum in the European and international development context. Senior Policy Advisor at, at ICMPD, Martin Wagner. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. Martin, as we speak, close to 4 million Ukrainian residents have left the country and most of them moved west towards the EU. The EU has then rapidly introduced the Temporary Protection Directive, in short TPD. Now, for our listeners, can you please summarize what this directive stands for, who is covered by it, and uh, why there was a necessity to introduce it in the first place? Probably I, I give a bit of a context here. The Temporary Protection Directive is uh, one of several EU legal acts that together form the so-called common European asylum system. Mm -hmm. And the EU and its member states decided in 1999 in the Tampere uh, Council conclusion to build a unified uh, protection area within the EU uh, where member states should apply common or minimum standards when receiving people who flee from their countries of origin. So we have here a, a number of EU legal acts. Uh, we have uh, the quite known Dublin regulation and Eurodac regulation that say uh, which country, which EU country is responsible to receive and to conduct uh, asylum procedures for applicants. Uh, but then we have also other um, legal acts like a procedures directive that says how the procedure has to run or the qualification directive which says how uh, the state has to determine whether somebody needs international protection or not. And of course, we also have uh, one uh, directive that uh, deals with reception, which is the Reception Conditions Directive, which gives uh, certain rights to asylum seekers during the application, has um, provisions on housing, uh, on um, material needs, and so on. Now, when the CS was initiated in 1999, EU countries just had um, experienced enormous number of people fleeing from the, at that time, war in former Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. When the war broke out in the early 1990s, many Bosnians and later on also people from Kosovo fled these wars and sought protection in neighboring EU countries. And during that time, countries like Austria, Germany, Sweden, but also other EU countries saw that their, at that time, national asylum procedures were not apt for, for receiving so many people in short time. And uh, there were mainly two reasons. I think this, um, this issue that we have usually in asylum is that you have a, an individual asylum procedure and this does not really work with big number of people coming at once, which overburdens completely the asylum systems and such. 
The second point at that time was also that we have EU countries apply to the so-called Geneva Refugee Convention that gives them an orientation. Is it the first most dominant international legal act and all countries apply to this? And this, this uh, defines uh, a refugee as somebody who has a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion or membership to a, a particular social group. Mm -hmm. And countries determine whether this applies or not in an individual procedure. Right. And this does not work uh, if many people at once mm -hmm. come because they all flee and there's actually not this individual persecution element so dominant, but there is this random shelling of uh, places and people simply leave a war situation. So having these uh, impressions freshly in mind from this uh, former Yugoslavia, Member states, probably not surprisingly, uh, saw a certain necessity to, to develop an instrument that could uh, provide the immediate uh, protection to people who come. And mm. this was the Temporary Protection Directive, and it was adopted in 2001. And actually, it was the first directive that was adopted under the common European asylum system. Mm -hmm. Now, with this uh, temporary protection, uh, we have basically three types of protection within the European Union. One is refugee protection, then we have subsidiary protection, and we have now the temporary protection in case of mass influx. What does a temporary protection directive say? In principle, it has an in, um, a special way to trigger it. Uh, it needs an, an, a proposal by the Commission, or this can be also by the member states, but the Commission formulates then a proposal and forwards it to the Council, And the council then uh, must uh, adopt it by qualified majority. This happened in the situation that we have now on 3rd March, uh, where the council uh, adopted uh, by, uh, by actually anonymously uh, this directive. Once triggered, uh, all people who are covered by this uh, temporary protection are eligible to stay in the EU countries. Mm -hmm. And there is no individual asylum procedure. And people have immediate access to a residence permit, education, healthcare, and the labor market. Now, just what did the council decide on 4th of March? To whom does it apply? It applies now to Ukrainian nationals who resided in Ukraine and who have been displaced on 24th February 2022. This is the cutoff date. Mm -hmm. It also applies to stateless persons and people to whom Ukraine granted protection mm -hmm. before 24th February. Mm -hmm. So these are for sure included and this is uh, in all member states the same. And then there are still some other people where you, uh, where the council left it up to the member states how they want to deal with it. And these are, for example, Ukrainians who already resided in a new country before. Mm -hmm meaning like they, for, for example, were in Austria or in, in, in Belgium as students, mm -hmm. have a residence permit for one year. So they are not per se uh, covered by the temporary protection. And also third country nationals who resided in Ukraine. And these are, again, for example, students who stayed in Ukraine mm -hmm. and who had also to leave. And for these groups, uh, the council left it up to member states whether they will put them under temporary protection directive mm -hmm or whether they grant them some other rights or other protection status. Okay. This protection has not been applied before, is that correct? Exactly. 
this is the, the interesting thing, and uh, if you can um, call it in these days uh, like that, but a temporary protection directive was already long called dead law in a way. There were several attempts to trigger it. Um, I just remember in 2011, during the Arab Spring, when many people came, there was a discussion, but more dominantly in 2015, 2016, where we... Um, received a lot of people uh, coming uh, to European countries and there were some voices that wanted to trigger this directive. But I think the situation that we see right now is in many ways different and probably um, three reasons why I think why there's a big difference to now to the situations back then. The first is, of course, a geographic reason. Ukraine is in the direct neighborhood of the European Union mm -hmm. and there are basically three ways, either to the Russian territory, which many will not go, of course, to Moldova, that's the only um, uh, country, not EU country or yes. not Russian country that is there and many people flee there, or to EU countries that mm -hmm. directly neighbor Ukraine. The second point is the scale that we have now. Um, I think it's unprecedented that uh, so many people in so short time Yes. Um, arrived. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned before the, the, the numbers, 3.5 to 4 million within what we have three weeks now. This is enormous. And the third point is, and this is, I think, probably one of the main points that we have, is this historic ties. We have many Eastern European EU countries who have a certain, um, yeah, a big sympathy towards Ukraine and towards the situation and relation with uh, Russia. This is an historical tie. And we also have a lot of diasporas mm. in many of those countries. And I think all these situations are quite different to what we have, for example, 2015-16 or in 2011. Okay. From a very practical perspective, what are the advantages now for beneficiaries of this temporary protection directive? And what are the maybe disadvantages that come with it? It's a long discussion that uh, started now also with the triggering of this uh, directive. But I would probably men mention four advantages and four main disadvantages that I see at the moment. Uh, I think this EU-wide uniform approach, uh, this is, of course, a, a big advantage. Um, just imagine, would the EU not have triggered it? Uh, then each EU country would have either applied the normal individual procedures, which, which would not work in Poland with uh, close to two million mm -hmm. soon. So each country would have anyways done something temporary, something immediate, mm -hmm. which, which would have been a bit different than the usual asylum system. Yeah. So And then we would have different standards in EU countries. So I think this is an enormous advantage that we know, okay, for these people it applies. And there are also certain other uh, um, rules that come with temporary protection where we don't have any differences among EU countries. Mm -hmm. And to this point also, I think it's a very strong signal also by EU countries to step up together to meet these challenges. The second point is evident. I mentioned it already. Less bureaucracy. Uh, you don't have an asylum procedure that lasts um, a few months, um, partly longer. But you have with one decision basically say that those and those people mm -hmm. have a legal status. Ukrainians and those covered by temporary protection do not have to be afraid about their status. So this is already something good one. The immediate access to services is also a positive thing. If you under normal asylum procedure and you're an asylum seeker, you only are granted 
access to several services, for example, also labor market after some time, you don't have this immediately. Yeah. So in principle, people can directly start, then you build their new lives. This is a positive thing. And the fourth one, which is a bit surprising, um, what I think many did not expect, is that uh, there is a kind of free choice element that we have right now. So applicants, so uh, Ukrainians or those covered by temporary protection actually can pick or choose their country uh, of destination within the European okay. Union. Mm -hmm. So they can go to either to stay directly in Poland or move on to other countries, which is completely not in line with the usual asylum system that we have, where one country shall be responsible. And can they also move around during the time of temporary protection? Exactly. So there are different. Uh, there are two different ways. Uh, immediately, Ukrainians all, um, if they have biometric passports, they can um, within 90 days visa-free travel. This is a big difference also to other other uh, refugee situations that we have. But also when they once registered, uh, the uh, within this uh, council implementing decision of the temporary protection directive, they also said that they will not return people when they moved on so they have to newly register and then they can stay in this in the, in the next country yeah so even after registration they can move on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the positive thing and this is something that um, was advocated by by refugee scholars already quite some time is with this they can also follow opportunities and more importantly networks that they have and we know that uh, there is a, a broad ukraine diaspora in many countries And they can follow them and mm -hmm. they can also be very instrumental and helpful to the further integration path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, a, a positive thing. But I would also uh, say that there are quite some, some disadvantages and again, probably four disadvantages I want to mention. You asked before whether it was triggered so far and it, as my response was not, it was not triggered. Uh, so we are a bit in an experimental phase here right now. Mm -hmm. And to have experiments during a time when we would need to rely on well-established procedures is, of course, a, a risk. Then there is a second point. This framing as temporary is also something uh, that might be difficult for people who arrived from Ukraine as they think, okay, this is just a temporary thing and they don't start with their integration mm -hmm. already or, or, or think of, of courses or, or whatever. But it might be also difficult, for example, for employers or for the labor market in general. Right. Will, will employers invest in someone whom they know, okay, it will only stay one year? And speaking of the length, how long can they stay basically under this uh, temporary protection directive? At the moment, it is uh, for one year, so they are now until for March 2023. But it is also uh, it, it can be prolonged then for another six months, for another six months, up to three years, as it is written in the Temporary Protection Directive. And this is then, of course, also what I wanted to say with this temporarity. Uh, what happens then after this date and one day? Yeah? So we need to also think already ahead what could happen, because we know, for example, from the examples that I mentioned before from the Bosnian War, People stayed afterwards. Uh, they moved into uh, permanent residence uh, permits uh, and some um, right. uh, also naturalized. Um, mm. Probably one more time back to the disadvantages. Uh, probably I mentioned still two. Uh, the solidarity aspect is something that is inherent in the Temporary Protection Directive, but was not too much talked. And when I speak about solidarity, I mean 
Poland has now an incredible many people whom they host right now. How can we distribute people to other countries? How can we provide financial support to Poland? How can other countries support Poland in this? And this is uh, the solidarity aspect is still not very concrete. And my last uh, point on, on, on disadvantage probably I would also like to mention with temporary protection, we single out a specific group that arrives right now from Ukraine. But at the same time, we also receive still people from other refugee situations, mm -hmm. Afghanistan, Syria. We have quite many uh, uh, refugee situations still and we might, or at the moment, the whole attention goes towards Ukraine and this might be also a problem. Mm -hmm. There is already some criticism there, I guess, um, in or maybe even some open questions by how the Temporary Protection Directive is used or interpreted in different countries of the EU. So in a nutshell, do countries know what to do now or what is what is up to them to decide really? So this is what I mentioned before with this experiment. So uh, I think everybody thought before this triggering that the directive would be uh, the biggest uh, difficulty in order to have this necessary majority vote in the council. But this was very fast, we saw now. But now uh, it is up to member states to translate this into national um, provisions, national uh, procedures, processes. In principle, what I said before, who is covered, there, there are these uh, two types. Uh, there is a minimum that has to be covered, uh, as I said before, Ukrainians who were before 24 February in their country and moved uh, afterwards. Uh, and also people who um, uh, received international protection. So this, uh, you see already in all countries, this is um, uh, reflected. But then uh, with these additional uh, groups that I mentioned, for example, foreign students who stayed in Ukraine before or, or, or people who from Ukraine who stayed uh, before in the EU already with a, with a valid residence permit. So here we see differences in member states. Some are more open and say uh, for all uh, foreigners who are from Ukraine, and some are more stick to this minimum requirements of the of the direct of the implementing decision. Here are member states at the moment um, developing their 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 legal frameworks. Some already did it. Some already have it a bylaw or adopted a law. But we see already uh, quite a difficulty. I just give one example. If if a student from Ukraine, started here in Austria, has a residence permit for one year still, and of course received uh, money from their parents probably from Ukraine. So they are, for example, might not be covered by, by temporary protection, but they might not get any longer support from their families because uh, their business probably does not work anymore. Mm -hmm. So they are here without uh, without support, without money, and they are not yet in, in, in they cannot yet uh, apply for temporary protection or register for temporary protection until the residence permit uh, ends. So this is one of the gaps that we already see, and, and uh, but there, there but there are many many similar situations that we have. It seems like this is um, the applying different sort of criteria in different countries also opens up some loopholes. Yes, this can be, uh, but uh, there is yet not so much information out there to really understand and you have to really read the, the legal provisions quite in detail to understand where the differences are. Right. But uh, there are also some 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 problems. This this legal part is only the one side of it. We, we, we also see this this practical uh, implementation issues that will soon follow 
I said before, people have free access to services, but how flexible are our services like labor market? How quickly can such uh, work out? And I think uh, public employment service are, are uh, already preparing for how they can respond mm -hmm. to that. So that would mean you cannot just go and start working in certain professions, like uh, as a doctor, for instance. You would not be able to do that under current legis uh, legislations, I think, in most European countries. Maybe it's different for other jobs but yeah, exactly it's quite different and and this is something that we see from from other refugee movements uh, refugees it's very difficult uh, to to recognize qualifications this we will see how this mm. might be a bit easier with ukraine because the the the, the are a bit uh, similar ways but still uh, it is a usual thing that uh, refugees cannot access their qualification only after some time they can okay. do that so this is this is one of the the, the, the things but But we also have this uh, usually that uh, first to, to, to look that nationals enter the labor market, but then EU, EU um, um, citizens and then foreigners actually. So this we will also see how this will develop in each country, whether this is a bit more broad or not. But in principle, one must also say there's quite a demand in labor in many EU countries. So this is on the positive side, which we'll see how this um, balances out. Okay. So we already covered what happens once. So we don't know really what happens when the TP ceases. Are there any long-term strategies already being discussed? Or are we still completely in crisis mode and that's not really? I think we are really still in the mode. Um, I mean, what I saw so far from countries uh, where most people so far arrived from Ukraine was that We have a, quite a backlog with registrations, uh, which means that um, our national systems are yet not apt to receive them. Because when I said there's no bureaucracy with the temporary protection, this is of course not true. Mm -hmm. A certain bureaucracy must be there. You need to register that you fall under temporary protection in order to enjoy the rights that mm -hmm. come with it. And this is with registration. So people need to show their passport, um, um, will be most likely also fingerprinted in most countries. And then um, uh, we'll also need to have a registration card, uh, which also then shows uh, that they have a legal right to stay and so on and so forth. So we are actually in this mode at the moment. I think we don't think yet too long, uh, too much about uh, long-term um, strategies, but I think we soon need to, and I give you right here that we soon need to think about that. What are the current plans or what is the EU currently doing on which uh, levels to further the process of TPD, but also beyond for Ukrainians and re Ukrainian refugees? Yeah, I think the, um, on, on various levels um, uh, at the moment, uh, they develop guidelines. For example, the European Commission has come out with Uh, with guidelines on how to interpret this um, uh, implementing decision of the council, uh, but they also give some operational uh, guidance on how to 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 deal with people arriving. Uh, so there's quite a lot going on. There's also a quite a detailed uh, web page at the, at the European uh, Commission 
um, webpage which shows really a Q&A to various points that are at the moment mostly asked by member states and they publish this and this is I think quite a good tool also. There's also a group that is established among EU member states um, chaired by the commission uh, that would support any questions and also the solidarity that I spoke before how to, to uh, foster it more among EU countries. But of course we have also uh, EU agencies like um, the European Union uh, um, uh, asylum agency um, that is also stepping up uh, to provide uh, support and guidance on reception, on initial reception that we have and uh, they are also already deployed in many countries and of course UNHCI is also uh, in the countries providing also from their side support. So yes there is but probably to mostly single out this uh, support that is currently be given by civil society, by privateers mm -hmm. who offer um, places in their homes. So there's quite, a, 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 quite a, an effort on all levels, I would say. Thank you very much. Now, Martin, while it's still premature probably, but do you think that uh, the EU for the first time, especially after all the ruptures that were and the discussions that were there in the uh, refugee situation from 2015 and 16, is this now a breakthrough moment? Can the EU be proud to have adopted this uh, TPD so quickly and unanimously? Well, <laughs> I think, yes, in this case, I think the European Union can be proud that this decision was so fastly taken um, to really respond to an immediate need. Whether this is a breakthrough, I'm, I would be much more cautious. Um, I think I told already before that there are quite some differences to other refugee situations, uh, also with the perception among uh, population of politicians and so on. So I'm, I'm quite skeptical that this really will be a, a breakthrough. And uh, we also see it already in several statements that say, okay, Ukrainians are the refugees, whereas the other ones are not so really refugees, which is, of course, not true. Uh, refugees are those who fulfill uh, the definition and those who need to receive protection because they are persecuted or they're fleeing a war. So there's uh, the, the international refugee law does not distinguish between uh, people. So all who uh, fulfill the definition, all who are in need of international protection shall be covered and shall be received. Yeah? So I think I'm afraid that this Ukrainian situation is quite exceptional uh, for many reasons I mentioned already, so I'm, I would not see this as a breakthrough. But uh, I nevertheless also believe that we see now quite a lot of initiatives, also instruments and tools to be able to, to provide the protection to people from Ukraine that come now up. And these tools, I think they will remain and we will be able to draw back to them in one or the other way. And I think uh, there are also quite some, some experiences that we might see also with regard to, to this free choice or the, the possibility that refugees can be mobile within the EU is also something that we can probably learn of whether this mm -hmm. has not also some, some, some sense, for example, if they have relatives in one or the other countries uh, or networks that could help them. So I think not a, a, a breakthrough and on, on asylum and related issues within the EU. I think this will remain skeptical and we will have many discussions again and we're already starting to have them. But uh, in general, to learn from the tools, I think this um, should be. But we will also see that in the, in the times to come. We are just at the beginning. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for today's talk. I think uh, we covered all the most important issues and uh, all listeners have gotten a really good overview now of what the TPD is and what its issues are and uh, how it can help resolve the current situation. We can only hope that it will not be necessary to continue for the directive to be in place for much longer. We do wish for peace after all, and I should finally mention that ICMPD has a long-standing cooperation with Ukraine, and we have just opened a regional office there in 2021 in Kiev. So to all of our colleagues, friends and families, we are with you and we support you as much as we can. Stay up to date on ICMPD's activities and visit our website icmpd.org, sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media. <music>